Hello and welcome to the First Day in Football Show. I am your host, Tobias Brown, and we are back with episode 17. And in today's episode, we are going to be recapping what was possibly one of the better Super Bowls we've ever seen. I've already seen a lot of people say that was one of the best Super Bowls ever, as if we forgot the 28-3 comeback overtime win between the Patriots and the Falcons, or the Plaxico Burrez game-winning touchdown for the Giants, or San Antonio Holmes toe-tap touchdown for the Steelers. I understand this was a really good Super Bowl. I understand this was a very competitive Super Bowl. I understand this was a very entertaining Super Bowl. But let's pump the brakes on the greatest Super Bowl of recent memory. Unless you have short-term memory loss, I would venture to say we can all name at least two or three Super Bowls that were better games than what we witnessed last night. But let's get into it. Let's talk about the Super Bowl. Obviously, the Rams win the game 23-20. to I would say that this solidifies Matthew Stafford as a Hall of Famer. You know, we talked about Stafford has the statistics. His stats are definitely worthy of Hall of Fame consideration. He just doesn't have any postseason success. Obviously, when you're stuck in Detroit for as long as he has been, postseason success is going to be hard to come by. He, in this postseason, though, was a key contributor to the Los Angeles Rams winning the Super Bowl. The trade paid off. We talked about in previous episodes that the Rams had to win this Super Bowl. You don't make the types of trades they made, giving up two first-round picks, a third, and trading Jared Goff to bring in Matthew Stafford. You don't give up a second and a third-round pick for Von Miller. You don't trade a first for Jalen Ramsey. You don't do all of that to just get to the Super Bowl. You do all of that to win the Super Bowl, and the Rams got it done. Stafford did throw a couple interceptions in this game, and we talked about in the preview show it was going to be paramount that each quarterback take good care of the football. Stafford was the one who threw the two interceptions. He finished the day 26 of 40 for 283 yards, three touchdowns, and two interceptions. But his offensive line held up pretty well. Stafford was only sacked twice, losing a total of 13 yards on those two sacks. O-line did a pretty good job of protecting Stafford. Now, you can say the O-line struggled in run protection. The Rams were held to 1.8 yards per carry. I mean, that's pretty abysmal. And that's where I I really want to start the recap is... You hear that. You hear that the Bengals defense intercepts Matthew Stafford twice. You hear that the Bengals defense holds Matthew, you know, holds the Los Angeles Rams to only 1.8 yard per rushing attempt. And you think, well, this is a great recipe for the Bengals to win the game. They won the turnover battle. They led the rushing attack. You think the Bengals are a shoe in to win. But the Bengals did exactly what we have talked about that the Bengals couldn't do. And they outcoached themselves. Zach Taylor, I mean, Bengals fans, I've heard Bengals fans mad at the refs, you know, we'll get into was that a pass interference call on Logan Wilson down there near the goal line, you know, there's some controversy over whether or not that pass interference call should have even happened given the fact that a lot of people believe Rob Havenstein, the Rams right tackle, committed a false start before that play even took place. 
you know, there's questions about was Aaron Donald offside on the key fourth down that cost the Bengals the game. And we can talk about all of that and all of those complaints. You know, I understand the frustration from Bengals fans, but the bottom line is you shouldn't have even been in that position. How many opportunities did you have to go down up 20 to 16, up 17 to 13 and score a touchdown and just take the game over, just completely put your foot on the neck of the Rams and close the game out and you didn't get it done. What I would want to ask Zach Taylor is what did he see on the two biggest downs of his team's season, the two biggest downs of Cincinnati Bengal football, what did he see that told him that Joe Mixon needed to be on the sideline and Samaj P. Ryan needed to be the one in the game? Not only that, but why, if you're going to run the football on third and one with the season on the line, why are you giving it to Samaj P. Ryan? For some more context on that, Samaje Pirine had two rushing attempts in the entire game. He did not gain a single yard on either carry. So Samaje Pirine has two carries for zero yards. Joe Mixon carried the ball 15 times for 72 yards and was averaging 4.8 yards per carry. I mean, Joe Mixon was being successful with the run. Why would you not feed him? Why do you... Give Joe Mixon a contract extension. Why are you paying Joe Mixon if Samaje Pirine is who you're going to run the football with on third and one with your season on the line? And then you look at it. So fourth down, the big fourth down play. They have Samaje Pirine still in the game. And at first I thought, okay, well, maybe Samaje Pirine is in there for pass protection. Pirine's a pretty good pass protecting running back. And the Bengals offensive line is abysmal. No, they, they send Pirine out on a passing route. So if we're going to not have P. Ryan block, if P. Ryan's going to try and catch the football, why not just put Joe Mixon in? I mean, made zero sense to me. I don't understand that one from Zach Taylor. If you look at the first touchdown of the game that the Rams scored, the touchdown reception by Odell Beckham Jr., why is Mike Hilton one-on-one on the outside with Odell Beckham Jr.? Mike Hilton is widely regarded as a slot corner. He is well-known in the NFL as a slot corner, so he's an inside corner. He very rarely ever goes one-on-one outside with anybody. Why are you putting him one-on-one outside with Odell Beckham Jr. in the Super Bowl? That one made zero sense. It kind of felt poetic that the Bengals would stick Eli Apple one-on-one with Cooper Cup at some point. I don't know what they saw on that one. But that was just atrocious. We've talked about the Bengals' offensive line and how awful it is. Burrow gets sacked seven times in this game. He was sacked 19 times this postseason. That is a new, that is the new high mark in the NFL. No quarterback had ever been sacked that many times in a postseason. Burrow sacked 19 times. The previous record was 12. Burrow, if you combine postseason sacks and regular season sacks this year, Joe Burrow was sacked 70 times. That is third most ever in NFL history. That is pathetic. The Cincinnati Bengals, if I am Joe Burrow, I am livid. Joe Burrow tore his ACL last year. You spent the number one overall pick on Joe Burrow. He tears his ACL, and your idea of fixing the offensive line is, hey, we'll give him a uh, rookie center in Trey Hill. We'll give him Hakeem Adeniji. We'll give him Isaiah Prince. And for free agent signings, we'll go out and throw money at Riley Reef. They didn't fix the offensive line. They didn't even attempt to fix the offensive line. You can say they spent a second-round pick on Jackson Carmen. We knew that wasn't going to fix the offensive line. They went into the season with an offensive line consisting of Riley Reef, who obviously got hurt, didn't play in this game. So that's why Isaiah Prince was out there. So you can say, well, they tried to fix right tackle. Okay, whatever. But 
left guard is Quentin Spain. Quentin Spain had been cut by the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills decided that Quentin Spain was not good enough to play for them. They cut him, and the Bengals think he's going to be good enough to protect Joe Burrow. They roll with Trey Hill, the rookie center out of Georgia, who was a late-round pick. They roll with Hakeem Adeniji, who was widely seen as a project. Nobody actually thought Hakeem Adeniji should be starting football games in the NFL at this point in his career. Yet the Cincinnati Bengals felt that he was worthy of protecting their First round, number one overall pick quarterback who's coming off a torn ACL. That is just borderline criminal by the Cincinnati Bengals front office. If I'm Joe Burrow, I am absolutely furious. If the Bengals want to have any shot at contending next year, they have four out of their five offensive line positions that have to get fixed. They have got to upgrade right tackle. If they roll in next year with Isaiah Prince playing right tackle, if I'm Joe Burrow, I demand a trade before the season starts. They have to fix right tackle. They have to fix right guard. They have to fix center. They have to fix left guard. The only offensive lineman on that roster who should be back next year is Jonah Williams. That offensive line is absolutely terrible. They absolutely have to fix it. If I'm Bengals fans, I have to question too, is Zach Taylor the type of coach who can get us back to the Super Bowl? I mean, the Bengals got there in spite of Zach Taylor's incompetency this year. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Zach Taylor is an incompetent football coach. You can't defend half of the decisions the man makes. They're absolutely horrid decisions. Yet the Bengals overcame that and got to the Super Bowl and had a chance to win it. I've never advocated for firing a coach who went to the Super Bowl. I don't think it's very wise. But this Bengals team feels a lot like the Carolina Panthers the year they went to the Super Bowl when they went 15-1 and and Cam Newton won the MVP. Or the Atlanta Falcons who went to the Super Bowl with Matt Ryan winning MVP and blew the 28-3 lead. This Bengals team feels oddly similar to both of those teams in the sense that they really overachieved. They did more than anybody thought they would do, but they they have glaring holes. Like I said, we've talked about the offensive line. The Bengals have to fix the offensive line, but also the secondary. You know, we talked about Eli Apple. It felt poetic that Eli Apple would be the one to give up the big play that would cost the Bengals the Super Bowl. The Bengals have to sure up the secondary before next season. I The Bengals have a ton of free agents. The Bengals have... Larry Ogunjobi, who did not play in this game due to injury, but was a key contributor in them even getting in a position to play for the Super Bowl, he's a free agent. Eli Apple's a free agent. I'm going to guess, based off the performance that Eli Apple had in this game, that Eli Apple may need to get a hold of Jeff Fisher and see if he can try out for the USFL, because Eli Apple is not an NFL corner at this rate. But then also, the Bengals have tight end CJ Uzama as a free agent. Riley Reef is a free agent. BJ Hill, who was... It played very valuable minutes for them, very valuable snaps here in the postseason, is a free agent. Trey Flowers, who's a rotational corner for them, is a free agent. Jesse Bates, who is by far their best defensive player, he is a free agent. They've got a lot of holes. I'm not so sure that this Bengals team is just a lock to be competitive for the next 10 years. Because if they don't fix the O-line, Joe Burrow is going to be another Andrew Luck who retires by the time he's 28 because he's just been absolutely obliterated. The Bengals have to fix that. If you look at the Rams, though, the Rams, if anybody, if the Bengals weren't going to win, if the Cinderella story wasn't going to win the game, is was there a better team to win than the Los Angeles Rams? Matthew Stafford finally gets a ring. After enduring everything he dealt with in Detroit since being drafted by them in 2009, to get the ring was amazing. Andrew Whitworth, the 40-year-old left tackle, finally gets a ring, gets to go out on top. You got a guy like Eric Weddle, who had been retired from football since 2019, 
tears his pectoral muscle in the beginning of the game, plays through it and wins his first Super Bowl and then re-retires. What a great story. You got guys like Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup played his college football at the FCS level at Eastern Washington was kind of an afterthought in everything he's done, winning Super Bowl MVP, winning the triple crown for receiving this year. This team is truly a great story. Obviously, you feel bad for guys like Odo Beckham Jr., who scored a touchdown in this game really since joining the Los Angeles Rams. Looked like the Odo Beckham Jr. that we saw when he was with the New York Giants. Really looked like he was going to be another dominant receiver in the NFL again. All reports are that he did tear his ACL last night, so don't really know how long that'll keep him out. You wonder, how does that, obviously, I think that pretty much shoots his free agency market. My guess is he ends up back with the Los Angeles Rams. He'd already kind of indicated that he was willing to take a pay cut to stay with the Rams. I think at this point, that will be what happens. I think Odell Beckham Jr. is back there next year. But with the Rams, the one thing that I think we have to realize is, like I said, the Rams were expected to be here. The Rams needed to win this game, given everything that they had done, all the draft capital that they had you know, mortgaged to go make these trades to put themselves in this position. But I have to wonder, are the Los Angeles Rams a shoe-in to become like a dynasty, to become a team that competes for the next four or five years? You know, everybody wants to talk about, well, this Rams team, they're uniquely slated to be able to do this again next year. Are they really, though? Are they really? Let's look at this Rams team at a bigger picture level. Andrew Whitworth, who was... their best offensive lineman by a mile this year, their 40-year-old left tackle, he's all but come out and said that he is retiring. So now you're going to have to replace left tackle. His backup, Joseph Noteboom, who was by far their best reserve lineman, is a great utility lineman. He's a free agent. Is there a guarantee he's back? Or does he try to chase a job where he can go guaranteed start? Austin Corbett, who is their starting right guard, he is a free agent. Is Austin, you know, one of the great things about having a guy like Austin Corbett out there in LA is Austin Corbett was cheap on his contract for the LA Rams. He was only getting about $1.9 million per year. Did Austin Corbett play too well? And now he's going to, you know, basically get bigger money if he gets bigger money can the rams even afford him because the rams have a lot of money invested in jalen ramsey matthew stafford robert woods cooper cup aaron donald and all those guys can they afford to re-sign an austin corbett their kicker matt gay is a free agent what does that look like gay was of course replaced greg zerline the rams need to have a good kicker sony michelle he's a free agent he was part of that three-headed tandem that the uh Rams had in the backfield with Michelle, Daryl Henderson, and Cam Akers. Darius Williams, who is a key part of their secondary, he's a free agent. We talked about Eric Weddle. He's come out and said he's re-retiring, so now you're back to having Jordan Fuller and Taylor Rapp at safety. They've got a lot of free agents. Troy Reeder, he's a free agent on the defensive side of the football. We talked about Odo Beckham Jr., he's a free agent. I said I think he'll be back. No guarantee, though. Von Miller, also a free agent. Is Von Miller going to come back? Is Aaron Donald going to retire? There's reports that Aaron Donald is considering retirement now that he's won the Super Bowl. I know Aaron Donald's only played eight seasons, but in eight seasons, he won Rookie of the Year. He's a seven-time All-Pro. I mean, the guy is a Hall of Famer. His resume is Hall of Fame already. Does he have to continue to play? Does he want to continue to play? I'm not sold on the fact that the Rams are just going to be back next season that they're just going to be Super Bowl contenders for the next 10 years then we can just chalk it up the Rams remind me a lot of a team like the Philadelphia Eagles where it just everything came into motion at the perfect time they remind me a lot of a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year where 
you, you had too good of a roster not to win. You look at that Buccaneers roster last year. They had Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski. On the defensive side of the po- football, they had Jason Pierre-Paul, Indomitian Sue, Devin White, Levante David. Their roster was too good not to win with. But then guys got more money. Guys got hurt, guys got older and retired, and now the Buccaneers are in limbo as to if whether or not they'll be a competitive football team next year. I could easily see the Los Angeles Rams being a very similar story, and the big issue for the Los Angeles Rams is they don't have a first or second round pick this year. Their first pick in the draft does not come until pick 99 towards the back end of the third round. That's not a good position to be in if you're a team that's going to have holes that they have to fix and you don't have a lot of cap space to work with. I don't like that for the Los Angeles Rams. Obviously, you have to enjoy the Super Bowl anytime you win one. It doesn't matter at what cost it took you to get there. It's always worth it because by winning this Super Bowl, you've all but guaranteed Matthew Stafford will be a Hall of Famer. You've now propelled Sean McVay. I have been highly critical of Sean McVay, and I was highly critical of Sean McVay during this game. I felt Sean McVay relied way too much on his running game. I know Matthew Stafford still attempted 40 passes, but Sean McVay's rushing game was highly predictable. You knew the Rams were going to try and run the football on early downs. It just the That's all the Rams did on early downs in this game was run the football, run the football, and run the football. They didn't mix it up at all. They ran one trick play where they tried to get Cooper Cup to throw it to Matthew Stafford, and Cooper Cup overshot Stafford by a mile. It just McVeigh was not very creative with his play calling. Really, Matthew Stafford won them that game by force-feeding Cooper Cup at the end of the game. So I've been critical of McVay, but the bottom line is if you look at McVay's resume since he's taken over for the Rams in 2017, the Rams have been a perennial contender at all times. They've made two Super Bowls. They've now won a Super Bowl. Sean McVay is going to be, if he coaches five more years and the Rams are competitive in those five years and make the playoffs, you know, three of those five years, McVay is going to be talked about as a Hall of Fame caliber coach. So You've changed his resume, his career resume, Eric Weddle. What does Eric Weddle's resume look like now? Eric Weddle was already one of the better safeties in the NFL during his time. Now he's got a Super Bowl ring on top of it. Aaron Donald, he has put the cherry on top of a Hall of Fame career. Andrew Whitworth has put the cherry on top of a Hall of Fame career. The Super Bowl was worth it for them. Nobody's denying that. I just wonder, did they mortgage the future to get there? Are they going to be a team like the New Orleans Saints now where it's like, yeah, you got a Super Bowl, you sold out, you were competitive, but the next five years are going to be really tough because once guys like Aaron Donald decides to hang it up or once guys you know, like Austin Corbett and some of the other glue guys on that team, Tyler Higby and all those guys, they decide they want the money that they're actually due, it's going to be really hard. I mean, if you look specifically at the Los Angeles Rams offensive line, we've talked about Andrew Whitworth is retiring. So you're going to have to replace left tackle. Austin Corbett was the next highest paid offensive lineman with $1.9 million. The other three offensive linemen did not even make a million dollars this season. You're not going to convince Austin Corbett, Brian Allen, Rob Havenstein. You're not going to convince all those guys to continue to play for under a million dollars or at a million dollars. It's not going to happen. Those guys played too good of football this year to not cash in and get somewhat of a pay raise. And I know the Rams would probably like to keep guys like Austin Corbett and Rob Havenstein and even Brian Allen, but I, like I said, I don't think the Rams have the cap space to do it. It's a great Super Bowl win for the Rams, but I'm not sure that the Rams can sustain it. If you look at the Bengals and you know what they can do with what they have, the Bengals have a ton of cap space. They, of course, are going to be drafting at the back end of each round. They obviously have pick 31 in the first round. The Bengals can fix this team, but I just don't have confidence in the Bengals fixing this team. If you look at the Bengals draft history and the Bengals draft record, it's 
so-so at best. They do a pretty good job of drafting wide receivers, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, but we're not that far removed from the Bengals drafting John Ross in the top 10, and we saw what a disaster John Ross was in the top 10. So I'm not convinced the Bengals get back. I'm not convinced the Rams get back. But if you want to look specifically at the details of the game, I do think the NFL has a massive officiating problem. I really like the fact that the officials for three and a half quarters of the game were letting the two teams play. We're letting them be physical. We're not calling it, you know, not calling tic-tac-y pass interferences. They weren't calling tic-tac-y, you know, defensive holdings. They were really letting the two teams play football. Then we come out of the second half, and T. Higgins absolutely attempts to decapitate Jalen Ramsey by grabbing his face mask and pretty much making Ramsey's head do a 360. No call. So then I'm like, okay, now they're really not going to call offensive pass interference or defensive pass interference. They're really going to let these guys play. Then you fast forward to the Rams, what ended up being their game-winning drive late in the fourth quarter, and we get this tic-tac-y defensive pass interference call on Logan Wilson where they said, well, his arm was on his back, but we saw that exact same play in the first quarter with Jalen Ramsey on T. Higgins, where Jalen Ramsey clearly was holding on to T. Higgins' jersey. I mean, it was clear as day. Anybody with eyes could see it. They didn't call it. And the officials and the announcers also, I mean, the announcers, Chris Collinsworth and Al Michael, said, I like that they're not calling it. They're letting him play. But then in the fourth quarter, we fast forward. We get the exact same thing with Logan Wilson, and they call it this time. The NFL has no consistency. This is why people question the product that the NFL puts on the field. This is why people say, man, does it not feel rigged sometimes. This is why people question it. Because for three and a half quarters of the game, the officials are letting them play. Nothing's getting called. Everybody's loving the physicality of that game. With two minutes left in the game, the officials decided that they hadn't done enough and they needed to make sure they got their name in the press. The NFL's got to fix this officiating problem because if they don't, their product is going to continue to suffer. How many playoff games this year was the underlying theme, was the story about the officials? No game should be about officials, yet more playoff games than not this year, it felt like we were talking about the officials. We talked about the officials with the Bengals and the Raiders game on the questionable Joe Burrow touchdown. Was there a whistle or was there not a whistle? I mean, this stuff cannot continue to happen. It, to me, was Logan Wilson's pass interference a pass interference? No, it wasn't. But the Bengals can't complain because they, they had the opportunity to win. We already talked about it. They had the opportunity to win. They chose to blunder it, whatever. Their offensive line played great for the first about two and a half quarters and then just absolutely imploded in the second half, which we knew was going to happen. We knew Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd. We knew those guys were going to eventually get pressure. I did feel that Joe Burrow at times held the football too long. I would have liked to have seen Burrow. Once you can see that your offensive line is starting to struggle more, once you can see Adenogy and Prince are getting beat up consistently, I would have liked to have seen Burrow either be quicker with the reads or just run. At that point, just run. I mean, I know that you're a quarterback, you're a pass first, you got to look to throw the football when you drop back, but you also have to understand, especially on that fourth down with the Super Bowl on the line, you just got to get out of the pocket. You cannot stand there because you know the Rams have Aaron Donald and Aaron Donald's coming for you. I know people are going to say, was Aaron Donald offsides? Was Aaron Donald offsides? Should that have been a free first down? Should the drive still have continued? They're not going to call that. They're not going to call it. I, I know you want them to call it, and yes, it does kind of look like his head was over the football, like he may have been offsides. 
but they're not going to call it. They, you know, the false start that they wanted called on Rob Havenstein on the Logan Wilson pass interference. They're not going to call it. They haven't been calling false starts all year. I mean, it, by the letter of the law, was it a false start? Yes. Has the NFL been calling it by the letter of the law this season? No, they haven't. I think if you look at Joe Burrow's performance, he played good. He played he played pretty well. Jamar Chase ended up with over 80 receiving yards, made a couple big catches, including that big 40-plus yarder on Jalen Ramsey earlier in the game. I mean, Burrow and Chase did enough to win the game. Joe Mixon did enough to win the game. The defense did enough to win the game. The Bengals did enough to win this football game. They were let down by their coaching. They were. I mean, the play calling was just, it was inept. It was inept. I don't want to rag on Zach Taylor too much, but I do think you have to begin to question his play calling and coaching decisions. Really, I think my two biggest takeaways on this game are good for the Rams winning the game, good for Matt Stafford finally getting a Super Bowl ring, and on the Bengals side, please help Joe Burrow before you turn him into Andrew Luck. I know people... You know, the halftime show was received very well. I thought it was a good halftime show. I thought it was a very good halftime show. Um, I'm not going to call it the greatest of all time, just because I think when you start, we are too quick to throw around the term greatest of all time. The best thing I've ever seen. This, it, we're, we're too quick to throw that out. We have such recency bias with that term. You know, like I talked about at the beginning of the show, we wanted to crown this Super Bowl the best we've seen in recent memory. That is such recency biased. Because if you go back to the 28-3 Super Bowl between the Patriots and the Falcons, if you go back to the Giants beating an 18-0 football team with a catch that David Tyree had, the helmet catch, if you go back to the Steelers and Cardinals Super Bowl with James Harrison 100-yard pick six and Santonio Holmes toe-tap game-winning touchdown, you go back to the Rams and Titans Super Bowl where Eddie George came up just, what, not even a full yard short of winning the Super Bowl for the Titans? You'll get all those Super Bowls. I would say that all of those Super Bowls are probably better than what we watched last night. I mean... I can definitely say at least three of them are definitively better. And that's just the ones that come to mind right off the top of my head. We've seen a lot of Super Bowls come down to last-minute drives. This isn't anything new. This Super Bowl was good. It was not the best of all time. Let's pump the brakes on that. Let's pump the brakes on this was the greatest halftime show of all time. I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer. I know that we had a lot of fun watching it last night. But it wasn't the greatest of all time. But that's all we got for the Super Bowl recap. I did want to touch on some other things outside of the Super Bowl that we forgot to touch on in the last episode. There was another head coaching hire, the New Orleans Saints. They hired Dennis Allen, their former defensive coordinator. They promoted him to head coach. Not really surprising. I know some people were upset because Allen had a chance to be the Saints head coach in the past and only went 8-24 and in a brief stint there with New Orleans. But he had been one of the best coordinators in football. It was Everybody who knew Dennis Allen, who knew the situation in New Orleans, they all pretty much agreed the Saints could not afford to let Dennis Allen walk. So not really surprised with that one. We've got a couple running backs getting arrested, though, and could have some pretty big implications for both of them. Both of them. First, they're in New Orleans. Alvin Kamara gets arrested the day before the Pro Bowl for felonious assault causing bodily harm. The It sounds like from the surveillance video footage, it... It sounds like basically Alvin Kamara and three of his buddies jumped a dude, beat him unconscious, and the dude is severely injured. That's not a good look for Kamara. If these charges stick, he could face up to five years in prison. It, it just makes me wonder, what do these NFL players think? Alvin Kamara's got a $75 million contract. 
what can any drunk idiot at a nightclub say to you that you feel the need to dr- jump him with three of your buddies, jeopardize five years of your freedom, and lose your $75 million contract? There's nothing. There's nothing he could have said when he is intoxicated at a nightclub that is worth you jeopardizing five years of your freedom and your $75 million contract so you could beat him up. Just absolutely stupid. And then you got Adrian Peterson, who was just arrested for what appears to be a domestic violence, domestic assault. Sounds like he and his wife got into an argument on the plane. The plane actually had to be rerouted, returned, and grounded. Um, not a lot's come out. Peterson has said he and his wife had a disagreement, but he did not physically assault her or hit her at all, that he would not hit his wife. Doesn't look good for AP. AP, of course, had the child abuse charges back in the day on his son. So not a good look for Adrian Peterson. Not a good look for the NFL. These are two of the bigger names in football. Adrian Peterson, of course, has passed his prime at this point, but still is widely regarded as one of the best running backs in all, of all time. Alvin Kamara is one of the best running backs in the football today. And they're both doing that. I mean, the NFL has to come down hard on this. The NFL has been... Very lackadaisical in the past, punishing guys like this. You know, Tyree Kill, little to no punishment. Kareem Hunt, little to no punishment. I know Kareem Hunt got released by the Kansas City Chiefs. He picked right back up where he left off with the Cleveland Browns. He got a little suspension. He's right back to it. The NFL has to deter this type of behavior because, I mean, you can't have star running backs, $75 million running backs, Jumping dudes in nightclubs, beating them unconscious, getting six-game suspensions, and coming back like nothing happened. A six-game suspension does nothing to Alvin Kamara. It does absolutely nothing. The man has a $75 million contract. You're going to tell me what? Maybe five, five to you know $8 million is going to deter him? Stop. The NFL has to send a bigger message. If they want to send a massive message, if the allegations against Alvin Kamara are true... Whole year, whole year suspension without pay. Right there. Start it there. Whole year suspension without pay. You suspended Josh Gordon indefinitely because the dude smoked pot. You suspended Josh Gordon indefinitely. Josh Gordon had to reapply for reinstatement into the NFL. There was no guarantee he was ever going to get to play in the NFL again because the dude smoked some pot. If Alvin Kamara really jumped a dude and beat him unconscious in a nightclub and then you turned around and let him play in the Pro Bowl the next day before turning himself into police... He's got to be suspended for an entire year without pay, and he has to apply for reinstatement. It's the only thing that makes sense. You cannot say, hey, we are strict. We are tough on marijuana. Let me tell you, you smoke some pot, you're out of the league. But, hey, go ahead and beat some dudes at the nightclubs, and you might get a six-game suspension. The NFL's got to get it together. They have to send a message here. They've got to show that this type of behavior is not going to be tolerated because it looks bad on the league. Tom Brady got a four-game suspension for deflating footballs. Tom Brady deflated some footballs and got a four-game suspension. You have got to send a message here. I'm Roger Goodell. It's simple. If this is true, one year, see you later. You're going to have to reapply for reinstatement. I think it's simple. Obviously, you're innocent until proven guilty. We've got to wait to see. But if what the Las Vegas PD says is true and they've got surveillance film, To corroborate the allegations, this is a terrible look for Alvin Kamara. But that's all we've got today for you guys. We will be back Wednesday with a hot take episode. It's officially the offseason, so you know we're going to be getting into the draft soon. So we'll be back Wednesday. Like I always tell you guys, rate, subscribe, and review to the podcast. And until next time, take care, and we will see you later.